This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swing and a drive! Swing, there's a shot! High drive! Out of here! This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. Challenger strikes out swinging. Playing the miss, he struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside Giant Moments. Yastrzemski, gone! And late night Lamont strikes again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, Parker. With Adam Copeland. Welcome back into the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. Boy, what a difference a week makes. Into All-Star Week now, the Giants get ready to open up a four-game set with the L.A. Dodgers from Dodger Stadium, or uh, probably still feeling pretty good after all the vibes of All-Star uh, Week. The uh, the Futures game, of course, on Sunday. Giants had a prospect, Kyle Harrison, pitching that game. And then, of course, the Home Run Derby on Monday, which was surrounded by all of the potential Juan Soto trade rumors. We'll get into some of that. And then, of course, the All-Star game in which Jock Peterson started in the left field. He'd go 0 for 2 with a couple of strikeouts, but we'll play you the audio of him getting announced at Dodger Stadium. Got a nice ovation from the Dodger fans, and I think ultimately that's what that was about. We talked about this over the last couple of weeks on the podcast, that uh, Jock Peterson is not just beloved and, and I think really well-liked here in San Francisco, and we've got a great track record here in the Bay Area of getting Giants into the All-Star game when you need that extra push. Remember uh, Panda the vote and get Pablo Sandoval into the All-Star game? We've seen this over a number of years, trying to get our guys into the game. Well, Giants fans did a nice job with Jock Peterson getting in as a starter in left field, but you got to think about the impact he's had on multiple franchises, right? He was a home run derby participant, a World Series champion, albeit in 60 games, with the L.A. Dodgers a couple of years ago. Then he goes to the Cubs, and then he's traded to the Atlanta Braves last year, wins another World Series there with the Braves, and really sort of set that city on fire. It was uh, pretty apparent how much he was beloved when the Giants went back to Atlanta about a month ago, and he had a couple of really, really nice ovations, got his World Series ring, also hit a couple of big home runs for the Giants in that series. So nice to see him get the ovation down at Dodger Stadium. That's what the All-Star Game's about. I had a lot of fun watching that. While the game itself wasn't all that exciting, I think baseball is making strides and taking strides into getting the game more accessible and more understandable and fun for the casual fan or or people who are not fans. I look back at the All-Star game and I think of some great memories as a kid. It's the only show in town on a Tuesday night in the summertime, and those summertime memories as a kid are what stand out to you, right? And I was a Little League player, of course, and so you'd play your games. We'd play in the backyard, my brother and I, and then you get to come in and watch the Home Run Derby in the All-Star game. It's one of my favorite weeks, and if I had to rank All-Star games across sports, it's got to be number one. It's still the absolute best. My one thing that I would take away, and I know a lot of people are with me on this, I'm not a big fan of of the uniform uniforms across the board. That was one of the coolest things about the All-Star game for the longest time is seeing your guys out there in their uniforms. I'd be okay if they want to go with an All-Star hat or something like that, and they've done that in the past. But I think putting both teams in just sort of standard home and away national and American League uniforms takes a little bit away. And if you're trying to grow the game, and I think they've done 
awesome stuff throughout baseball in the All-Star game, miking up players, even pitchers on the mound. Pretty cool to hear them. Uh, uh, we saw Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays have a conversation with John Smoltz, who was up in the booth while Manoa was pitching and talked about which pitch he should throw in this situation. Should he throw a slider? Should he go high fastball? John Smoltz is giving him advice and telling him what to do. That was cool. It was great to get outfielders mic'd up. Uh, Liam Hendricks, the angry Aussie. I know that was a Grant Balfour, but uh, Liam Hendricks is out there uh, huffing and puffing and he's got the strong Aussie accent. Uh, he's been a lot of fun to watch on the mound and he's been mic'd up the last couple of years so a couple of great things i think about the all-star game and the strides they've taken but to grab the casual fan i was talking to chris rose who does the uh, the rose rotation the chris rose rotation podcast for john boy media you see him on mlb network and nfl network i was talking to him earlier this week uh, after the all-star game and he said the one thing he doesn't like about those uniforms is if you're trying to get more people involved and the point of the all-star game is to do that it's the only show in town baseball gets to promote itself it gets to put the bright lights on you're in la the media capital of the world right the the entertainment capital of the world you've got hollywood you've got all this great stuff but if you're a casual fan and you're let's say a cincinnati reds fan you know you've got one guy luis castillo who could end up pitching in this game or you're a, a cleveland guardians fan or something like that and you're rooting to see your guys out there without the uniform and, and again us us diehard fans know exactly who our guys are and what position they're playing but if you look out you, you've got to sort of zoom in on the name or on the number or on the jersey to find out that's your guy out there so that would be my one catch with uh, with the all-star game is i like seeing my team in my team's unis it's a cool look when you look back at willie mays and hank aaron and roberto clemente and they're standing there on the giants and the braves and the pirates unis it looks so cool to me so i know there's a lot of stuff about the american and the national league don't hate each other anymore the game's more uniform sure the game has evolved, but I've just never been a fan of, of the uniform uniforms, the actual unis they make them wear, the American and National. I say, let them wear those jerseys at the Home Run Derby like we've always done, and then get back into uh, into exactly what you should be wearing, your game uniform for the game. That would be my one catch. But other than that, I think the, uh, the show that baseball put on, it's always fun to see the legends out there, and hearing the names announced coming out to the base pass has always been one of the coolest parts of the All-Star game. And Jock Peterson, as we mentioned, gets announced as a starter for the National League in left field, got a couple of at-bats, as I mentioned. Uh, but I, I didn't expect Dodger fans to boo him. I didn't expect some huge eruption, and that's kind of what we got. No boos, a nice applause for him. Of course, you get a lot of fans nationally who make the trip out to wherever the All-Star game is in whatever city and make it a, a summer vacation out of it. Anyway, we'll play it for you. Jock Peterson getting announced at Dodger Stadium Tuesday night as part of the 2022 National League starting lineup. Batting eighth in left field from the San Francisco Giants. Jock Peterson. Well, you can even hear it start to build up a little bit. Even when they announced San Francisco Giants uh, out in the left field, number 23, I just thought that was cool, man, that, uh, that Jock got the ovation he deserved for a brilliant season he's having for the Giants, one of, if not the most dangerous hitter in the lineup. Uh, and then, of course, the, the impact he had, as we mentioned, down uh, with the Dodgers, with the Braves, and uh, his short time in Chicago. So a lot of fan bases, I think, rooting for Jock Peterson. He's been a lot of fun to watch. Plus, he had a hell of an outfit walking out with his family on the, uh, they do the, uh, the red carpet show or the blue carpet show, whatever it is. I think it was the purple carpet last year in Colorado. But uh, he had the the plaid shirt, matching the plaid shorts with the blue blazer. He's matching with his, his little son, his young son, holding his daughter's hand. It was cool watching the uh, the whole family walk out there on the blue carpet for uh, the All-Star game at Dodger Stadium. But maybe more importantly, not maybe, definitely more importantly than the All-Star game is what the Giants did to wrap up the pseudo first half of baseball. We always say first half, uh, but they're past the 90-game mark. So really back end of the season, but it's more about how they finish 
the first half. When we spoke a week ago on the Inside Giant Moments podcast, they were about, we wouldn't say floundering or anything like that, but they were lacking consistency. They had a, a long losing streak to start the month of July. What did they lose? One, two, three, four, five straight games to start the month of July. Well, they roll into the All-Star break against a team who, if they're to finish in the sixth seed, there's a damn good chance that they're going to end up facing the Milwaukee Brewers uh, in the first round as part of the new three-game wildcard series that you get. So this is a team that I think sort of mirrors the Giants a little bit. They're a good pitching team. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, of course, extremely dangerous. They've got a good back end of the bullpen. Devin Williams is absolutely filthy, and Josh Hader is nasty. So the Giants had a little litmus test here, a little benchmark to see where they are going into the All-Star break, and they took three of four from the Milwaukee Brewers who were in a battle in the National League Central. They could end up being the three seed, and if the Giants end up as the sixth seed, they would end up facing them in the first round in a best-of-three series. But it's not just that they won three of four, losing that Thursday game, winning in a walk-off on Friday night. We'll get into that in just a second, but then they shut it down. On Saturday, they go two to one. Dominic Leone comes in and gets a save. Nice to see him finish the first half strong after a couple of struggles earlier this year. Gabe Kapler getting a little bit of uh, uh, confidence, I think, in the back end of that bullpen. Camilo Doval threw the ball pretty well in that series, albeit that 10th inning loss in the Thursday game. He was asked to do a uh, or work a second inning after coming into the game. So always tough when you do that. It's a different look than a lot of these guys have seen over the last few years. And then on Sunday, closing out the first half, Logan Webb picking up yet another win, and they win that ball game 9-5. to five. So they roll into the All-Star break at 48-43, and 43, a half game back of the St. Louis Cardinals who had their game postponed to end the first half. That Sunday game for the Cards is, uh, is going to be made up later this season. So... I don't know if you're like me. I, I get FOMO when I'm not at the uh, the ballpark for incredible events. Now, I'll say this. I was going out of town last Friday. I was driving up to Clear Lake, beautiful Lake County, hanging up at the lake with my brother. 100 degrees. It was a beautiful weekend. Uh, anyway, my brother and I have had this happen a couple of times where we've turned down tickets or been on our way for a weekend away at Clear Lake over the last two decades or so where uh, the Giants do something fantastic. I remember I turned down a ticket to the Jonathan Sanchez no-hitter Friday night against the Padres. My buddy had asked me the day before, is where walking out of the, the ballpark. He goes, uh, you want to come to the game tomorrow? I got an extra ticket. I go, ah, I can't do it. I'm going to Clear Lake, and uh, well, we'll just have to skip this one. Who'd have thought Jonathan Sanchez would throw the first no-hitter in Giants history since John the Count Montefusco did it. It was a, a really cool night, but I was on my way up, and my brother were listening to the game. He and I, we get all the way there, and we caught the ninth inning. Juan Uribe makes the error at third, but it keeps the no-hitter alive, though it ends the perfect game. So it happened again. We're driving up on Friday night of last week. We're listening to the Giants game all the way up, all the way to Clear Lake. We get there, and it's right about to start the ninth inning. I think the eighth inning was wrapping up, so we watched the top half of the ninth for the Brewers, and we go, oh man, five to two. It's going to be a tough one to come back from. You're going to need three runs off of Josh Hader. When does Josh Hader give up three runs? Well, the Giants mounted a ninth inning comeback. I had a bit of FOMO, but I was also so stoked that they won this game. Beautiful calls from John Miller. A really nice, resilient, come-from-behind win and sort of set the tone for the Giants for the rest of the weekend. So let's walk you through it. Josh Hader, the all-star closer who actually Carlos Rodon replaced on the uh, on the all-star roster for the National League because Josh Hader had to go be around for the birth of his child, so he went to go be with his family and opted not to pitch in this year's all-star game. Anyway, he did opt to pitch Friday night against this Giants lineup. He he comes into the game with a 5-2 lead. All he needs is three outs before the Giants can score three runs. Well, that's not how it happened, really. Here comes Joey Bart. Joey Bart steps up, and apparently, as the story goes, he was in the dugout, and, and this got a little bit of blown out of proportion, I believe. But while he's in the dugout, he has a conversation with Kirk Casale, and he goes, we can't be all down like this. We're down by three. It's not a 15-run game. We've got to mount a little bit of a comeback here. Get a couple of guys on base and give yourself an opportunity to pop one out. You don't hear that kind of talk often from a... 
young player, a player like Joey Bart, who's had a tough season for the most part, had a, a really tough struggle at the beginning part, went down to the minor leagues, came back up, revamped the swing, and has been fantastic since he rejoined this Giants lineup. The swing looks different. His approach at the plate looks different. He's drawing more pitches. He's seeing more pitches at beginning of at-bats, and then he's waiting for, as Gabe Kapler talks, a pitch into his swing tunnel where he can put good wood on the ball, and he's done it uh, to the tune of a, a lot of power in the last week or so. When he first came back, had a ball in Arizona, if you remember, that a fan reached over and pulled back over the wall. It was ultimately ruled a ground rule double. Well, his power did not stop in Arizona when he rejoined the roster. It continued on Friday night when he stepped up to the plate. After telling Kirk Casale we need to mount a little bit of a comeback here, Joey Bart steps in against all-star closer Josh Hader. 1-0 pitch. There's a high drive to left field. Way, way back there. And adios! Pelota! Joey Bart leads off the inning with a home run to make it 5-3, Milwaukee. Okay, so 5-3, to three, you're going, all right, still need a bloop and a blast. You're down two runs here, 5-3 to three at that point. And by the way, I love John Miller and Dwayne Kuyper, so good at this too. His thing, and, and actually, uh, so is Dave Fleming. As things start to build in a comeback for the Giants, they frequently give you that little tone, and it's 5-3, to three, Giants, where you think, okay, well, we're, we're in it now. Got an opportunity here to make a little bit of a comeback. So 5-3, to three, nobody on base. Giants now have Darren Ruff coming to the plate. Now, last year, it seemed to me, and I think to a lot of Giants fans, that everything clicked for them. Every time they went to the bench for a pinch hitter, every time they made the line change switch where they put in a lefty for a righty to face a lefty and vice versa, it seemed like any time Lamont Wade Jr. came up in the ninth inning uh, or the eighth inning of a ball game, the Giants, it felt like they had an opportunity to come back. This year, they have not been as successful in the ninth inning. In fact, did not hit a walk-off home run last season, had multiple walk-off hits, but there's something about the ability to come back against great closers and great bullpens that changes the psyche for a team. You want to know that you can do it. You want to see that you can mount the comeback and be resilient even when the offense has not been working over the course of a ball game. So 5-3, to three, kind of a big deal, but they're just not quite there yet. So here comes Darren Ruff. Has not had the season I think Giants fans have hoped from beginning to end, but he's still out there displaying tons of power. At the beginning of the year, had a whole lot of bad luck. Really good hard hit rate, but balls were just finding gloves. They weren't going over the wall. Guys were making great plays on them, and, and that's just sort of the adjustments you've got to make over the course of a baseball season. you got to be resilient. Well, here he comes. Down two, bottom of the ninth, facing again the all-star closer, Josh Hader, Darren Ruff, at the plate. 1-1 one, one pitch. Swing, and there's a shot. Left center field. Deep. Way back there. And that one's gone! Well back into the bleachers, and now it's a one-run game. The second home run of the inning allowed by Hader. 5-4, to four, Milwaukee. <laughs> There's that great John Miller tone again. Five to four, Milwaukee. So now you start to think something special can happen. Now you start thinking, okay, a bloop and a blast or a couple of base hits here, and all of a sudden you can tie this game or you can win this game. So Lamont Wade Jr. Uh, was pinch hit for right before Darren Ruff comes up to hit. It was Wilmer Flores. So Flores flew out. Darren Ruff hits the home run. Now here comes Austin Slater, who, by the way, has played every game to this point in the month of July and has been on fire hitting 455 in the month of July. So Darren Ruff hits that home run. Austin Slater comes up singles to right now here comes mercedes this is the line switch we were talking about you mercedes the righty pinch hit for brandon belt while he's at the plate austin slater swipes second base and so now you're thinking okay base hit can score austin slater one of the better running players or better speed players 
on the roster for the Giants. Actually, he told us that on this podcast. We talked to him a few weeks ago. You can go back and find it on the Inside Giant Moments podcast page. Austin Slater talking about his speed and his leadoff ability. I asked him, you think you're a traditional leadoff hitter? Michael Bourne, Scotty Pudsednik, Brett Butler. He said, I don't know if I'm exactly that guy, but I am pretty confident in my ability to run. So he swiped second base, and now a base hit can tie the game. Well, your mean Mercedes gets hit by a pitch. So now you've got first and second, one away. Tyro Estrada comes up, base hit to right field. Not deep enough to score the run from second base. So all of a sudden, base is loaded. Estrada at first, Yermin Mercedes at second, Austin Slater's at third, and here comes Mike Yastrzemski. Giants open the ninth inning, down 5-2. to two. They'd already hit two home runs in the inning. They've now got one away with the bases loaded. And what's better than hitting a walk-off home run? hitting a walk-off grand slam, and having John Miller call it. What a way to win the series. And I know that they had to win two more games with this, even the series at one apiece. What a way to win a ball game against an all-star closer, boost your team a little bit, inject some life into the dugout and into the clubhouse. Gabe Kapler ecstatic after the game. One of the most fun giant wins in years, I think. Uh, Going back to all the wins last year, you go back to the great win over the Dodgers in the division series. There's just something about come-from-behind wins that end with an exclamation point. There's nothing like it in sports to walk off with a grand slam to win a ball game, and that's exactly what Mike Yastrzemski did last Friday night at Oracle Park. Still only one out with the bases loaded. And Josh Hader sets, delivers, swing, there's a shot! Deep center field, way back there, still going! It's a grand slam! Can you believe it? The ball game ends on a grand slam by Yastrzemski, the third home run of the inning! And incredibly, the Giants have come from three runs down and have won the game with a six-run inning. And Oracle Park is berserk. Oh, just so cool. What a great call from John Miller, man. And I told you I get FOMO not being at the ballpark for moments like this. It's tough to get upset when a game like this goes down, even when you're not there. To see something like this happen, to hit three home runs. By the way, just by by uh, or a frame of reference here, Josh Hader coming into that game had allowed four home runs all season long. He allowed three in that inning alone. So a, a big boost for the Giants. And again, sometimes you can come back on a team and it can start against a guy that's maybe not the best or uh, a, a team is blowing you out and you start to mount a little bit of a comeback. That's all fine and good. But to end it with an exclamation point like that, to win the next two games and send them into the break at 48 and 43 and have a genuine opportunity here to seize one of those uh, wild card spots in the National League playoff picture, that's where you want to be after the All-Star break. 91 games played to this point. It's going to be a lot of fun. These final 71 games of the season to see if the Giants had any pieces at the trade deadline or uh, if they're able to make a push like they did last year in that final month of the season. It seemed like the Dodgers were trying to catch them every single day for about a month and a half, but we know this team has resilience, and when you see something like this, you know you have it in you, and so this is something uh, to look forward to, this sort of excitement. These come from behind wins. We saw so many of these guys do it last year, and we saw it again last week, and speaking of the trade deadline, not to say the Giants will absolutely be involved in these talks, but it's been a a hot topic, uh, really since the Nationals kind of discussed over the last couple of weeks or last couple of months, I should say, in moving their stud 23-year-old two-time MVP World Series champion and now home run derby champion Juan Soto. This sort of surrounded all of the activity at All-Star Week on Monday and on Tuesday down in Los Angeles that after turning down a $440 million contract would have paid him over 15 years, so over $28 million a year, uh, he wouldn't be a free agent for another three seasons. So uh, he's under contract for next year and the following year and then would be 
a free agent. The Nationals are saying that they would like to move him. Buster Olney is reporting of ESPN that the Nationals could move him as soon as the trade deadline. Now, the question is what a trade like this would command. The reports are that the Nationals were, are going to want as they're in a rebuild, and they, they traded Trey Turner and Max Scherzer last year, got a nice haul from the Dodgers for it. Kiebert Ruiz, one of the top catching prospects in baseball, he went to Washington. Uh, Josiah Gray, one of the top pitching prospects, he went out to Washington. They're looking for young talent that is close to major league ready, asking for the top three or four prospects out of any given minor league system. They would like to refrain, I think, from trading Juan Soto uh, in division, so that could mean the Mets are out and possibly the Braves are out, but the Yankees are a team that has been thrown around. They're, of course, trying to keep Aaron Judge, but looks like he may want to walk after this season. And the other team that's been mentioned is your San Francisco Giants. So, the question about what it would take is a tough one because I don't know that we've ever seen a player of this caliber at 23 years old with two MVPs. I mean, we're talking early Barry Bonds career stuff. I don't know that we've seen a player hit the market like this as far as a trade candidate goes. And it's not a guy who you're trading for for a half a season and then we know he's going to hit free agency. So, it, it would seem to reason the Nationals, and they've said this or it's been reported, that they would like a couple of close to major league ready top prospects as well as potentially some big leaguers on the roster. Is that something the Giants would like to get involved in? Possibly. The one caveat or catch here is if you're going to trade for a guy like this who just turned down $440 million, you've got to know you can re-sign him. So I imagine there's a lot of maneuvering, a lot of conversations that would happen with any team that acquires Juan Soto between that team and the Nationals who discuss, okay, what is it he's looking for? What does he want dollar-wise? What does he want money-wise? And can we afford to do that as an organization and still put pieces around him? My thought is that we don't even know. This is the tip of the iceberg for this guy. We don't even know. In five years, at 28 years old, when he should be hitting his prime, who knows what caliber player he'd be? What, who knows uh, uh, what kind of superstar talent he could be? He may be. They talk about his eye being as good as Barry Bonds or Ted Williams. I mean, this is the type of player they're comparing him to, that at 23 years old, he could be the best player in baseball uh, in just a couple of years. I know he's not going to pitch like Shohei Otani, but uh, as far as hitters go, he would look really, really good in black and orange if the price is right. But if you sign this guy or you trade for this guy, the hope is that you can lock him up for the next 15 years or so and have him till he's damn near 38, 39 years old and then go from there. But uh, you plug this guy in the middle of your lineup for any organization, could help make you a contender. He knows what it takes to win at that level in the playoffs as he's already done it. And as we mentioned, this guy would bring people to the ballpark for years and years and years to come. Plus, how fun would it be to have some sort of home run chase at Oracle Park again? The Giants, an organization just rich with superstars over their history, going back to Mel Ott and Bill Terry and then Willie Mays and Willie McCovey, Orlando Sapir, Juan Marichal, Gaylord Perry, then up to Barry Bonds. Hell, Bobby Bonds was a uh, a great star, a 30-30 guy in his own right, a 40-40 guy in his own right. So uh, just, just something to follow as we uh, move a couple of weeks away or a couple of weeks shy from the trade deadline. This could be uh, the biggest name moved in, in baseball memory, basically, uh, because of what this could do to an organization and how it could change. But the Giants have, in fact, been mentioned as a potential landing spot because of the financial flexibility. And we should mention the other part of this is the Nationals want a team that is willing to take Patrick Corbin's contract. Now, the Nats are the first team in baseball history to have uh, $300 million pitchers uh, by way of, of the uh, length of their contract and time of their contract, $300 million pitchers at one time. They had Max Scherzer, over $100 million. They have Steve, uh, Steven Strasburg, who is over $100 million when he signed his deal, and Patrick Corbin, who is still due. I think he's making $24 million this year, so you'd have to pay the back end of that contract, $24 next year, and then it bumps to $35 in that final year. But uh, with the potential of, uh, of some spots opening in the rotation, who knows what happens after this year, uh, that could be somebody that maybe you plug in, and while he would be expensive, it 
would be worth it to take on Patrick Corbin if, in fact, you could get Juan Soto. A lot of people have different feelings about this, holding on to prospects and whatnot, but this is a lottery ticket right here. This is a guy you know that is going – not even a lottery ticket. You know what Juan Soto is at this point. We just don't know how good he could be and what his ceiling is at just 23 years old. So something to pay attention to, again, as we get closer to the trade deadline. Giants open a four-game series with the L.A. Dodgers at Dodger Stadium on Thursday, and they've already put out the projected starters for the Giants for how they'll open the second part of the season. They're expected to go with Carlos Rodon on Thursday, Logan Webb on Friday, Alex Wood on Saturday, and then Alex Cobb on Sunday to wrap up that four-game series. No word yet on what's going to happen with that fifth rotation spot, but because Jacob Junis did come back, was activated on the final day of the first half last Sunday, there's a thought that he could slot in and be that fifth starter because they have been shy, uh, or they have not had a fifth starter, really. They've had to go sort of uh, mix and match with a couple of bullpen games. We've seen Sean Jelly pitch. We've seen uh, Sam Long come out and throw a little bit, so we'll see what happens, but Jacob Junis would be my pick and hopefully with as well as he pitched in the first half over that spell where they were injured in the rotation and in may when rodon was uh, not pitching as well as he had in april same goes for logan webb and they did bounce back to finish the first half strong jacob junis was a godsend for this rotation eating innings and, and saving that bullpen a little bit so we'll see what happens we'll see how it shakes out but uh, that's going to be your four game rotation at least uh, tentatively for the four game series in los angeles would be nice to uh, to do some damage to the dodgers eat into that national league west lead a little bit it would be a tall mountain to climb to try to win the NL West. But these are games that you want to start to have. You want the Dodgers to beat up on the teams that the Giants are competing with in the National League wildcard race. But if you have an opportunity to beat the Dodgers, whether they're in first place or last place, you want to seize that opportunity at the very least for bragging rights, right? So uh, Giants and the Dodgers open, as I mentioned, on Thursday night at Dodger Stadium. Great way to kick off the second half. It's been fun recapping what happened All-Star Week. It was a great end to the first half for the Giants, and the Juan Soto stuff is really, really intriguing and could be a fun story to watch if in fact he does land with the Giants but remains to be seen we have not seen a superstar of that caliber since Barry Bonds really come through San Francisco you can sprinkle in Tim Lensingham but for the longevity that Bonds was here that would be the type of stuff you're getting from Juan Soto at least the hope is you're getting that type of production I don't know that anybody will ever get Barry Bonds production but the hope is that you would be getting that type of production over the next 15 years or maybe even more who knows how long that contract will be for uh, whichever team he lands with please be black and orange please be black and orange. Would love to see him out in the left field in a Giants uniform. All right, we'll be back next week with an Inside Giant Moments podcast. Big thank you to Kelsey, our producer. Uh, thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate us and review us and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode all season long. I've been your host, Adam Copeland, and this is the Inside Giant Moments podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Swing and a drive! Home run for Brandon Crawford. This. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Is. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Inside Giant Moments. It's headed for the bay! The third of the night for Jock Peterson. With Adam Copeland. Well, strikeouts and they're on their feet here at Oracle Park for Carlos Rodon. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.